We'll have to yeah. edit this out too. We're having lots of boring conversation today. I know we really are. Yeah. Um, that was my fault though. As most things are. So we, <laughs> I just wanted to see you hop up and down in annoyance. <laughs> do you, do you like that Joanna? When you hop up and down in annoyance? Yeah. Yes, I do. I do very much. Recording. What episode even is this? This is episode seven. Um, we are trying to figure out what months we missed. I, I would have to go back and look at the actual release schedule. But we've been doing it every month for, for a while now. Yeah, we've been doing it uh, tech, I mean, since August, but we skipped a month. But August was the first one. Well, we recorded our first one in July. Yeah, but August is the first one that went out. It was August. Yeah, yeah. And then we skipped like two months in there yeah. somehow. Technically, February was released on March 1st because I was lazy basically i mean well that's not fair i had stuff going on in my life <laughs> uh but yes but we're, we're doing pretty good um so and uh we were recording this on saturday march 9th which was our last chance to record it why is that joanna uh because on tuesday i am packing up my computer and shipping it to california and it's hard to record this podcast when she doesn't have a computer Correct. um so this is our last um, at least for the time being, long distance coast to coast podcast. Uh, Next time you hear from us, we'll be driving each other crazy in close proximity. Yeah, which uh, will will both increase sound quality and create a whole host of headaches where I try to get the mics not to pick up each other. And well, I don't we might know. be able to use the same mic if we well, I, position ourselves. I, right. I think it. from what the research I've done, I think there's a way for us to kind of use a combination of getting each other in dead zones and some software if we can sync up the timing exactly right. But mm-hmm. it's complicated. Like it's the kind of thing where once we figure it out, it won't be that hard. But the process will be complicated. So yeah. um, that said, do not be surprised if the next episode happens in late April, um, whereas this one will be, be released in early to mid March uh, because of that timing. Um, also, my name is Dylan. I'm Joanna. This is episode seven of A Possibility of Opinions, or Opinions, depending on what you look at. So I did just hear back, I, I pinged our logo designer, <coughs> who was taking, um, was taking a little bit of time, but, you know, I didn't bug them, because they're working for free! And they said, actually, they did have some things mocked up, and they're gonna send them to me, probably, uh, in a couple days. So this, hopefully, this is the last time you can make that stupid joke. Uh, so for this mm-hmm. podcast, we don't have any mailbag or comments, as usual. Oh, that's not quite true. I did talk to my parents recently, and my dad was really happy to have his poetry featured on the previous podcast. So, that's nice. So, happenings and move update. So, we talked about the computer. Yeah, swimming off the computer. Um, move updates. Okay, so... Right, chipping off the rest of my crap on Tuesday, um, and then I'm going to stay with my aunt on Friday. 
um, for the last my last two weeks in New York. Joanna says the rest of her crap because I currently have 17 of Joanna's packages in my apartment. Um, yes, which you had an excellent time going through today, as I yeah. hear. I think it'll, I don't know, I think it'll be a fun section for next podcast or maybe a few podcasts out when you actually, we open these boxes you moved in somewhere to talk about like the things Joanna kept, like of all the things that you could have and like the things that you needed, you know, you felt you needed to ship across the country to Sacramento. <laughs> I think it's, it's it, like an interesting insight into your character to see, to see the things you kept. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm sending my computer and like a lamp and a small exercise machine mm-hmm. and like a last box of couple boxes of crap on tuesday so most of my stuff actually went um yeah. no yeah i know and i actually at the end i actually managed to ping a bunch of things i'd completely forgotten about so like there's a bunch of kitchen shit that i ended up sending that i like forgot i owned that i found at the last minute wow uh okay so actual move update so you're going to stay with your aunts yes on the 15th um and on Tuesday afternoon, after I ship my shit, I'm going to the Met with my aunt, and then I'm going to Fancy Sushi, um, which is exciting. Uh, it's called Sushi by Bay, which is like this woman. Um, she uh, was a design student, uh, and then she covered a friend's shift at a sushi restaurant and like fell in love with the art of sushi making. And it's very unusual because usually uh, sushi chefs don't take on female students or like you know apprentices um but like he took a shine to this one and so she like formally trained and now does her own sushi thing so we're gonna go eat her sushi but it's like really intense like you um have half an hour like you you have to get there on time and you the whole meal is half an hour long and then you can have cocktails if you want it's gonna be real interesting um so uh also, does Facebook tells me, do your aunts have a dog? Yes, Sunshine. Tell me about Sunshine. Uh, Labradoodle. Sweet girl. Golden. You're really terrible at talking about dogs. Like, what? What, what's she like? Like, do you have, uh, what's your relationship with her? She's very loud and very cheerful. What? How is she loud? Does she bark at people or... Yeah, she gets very excited and barks a lot. But, like, barks because she's happy, not barks because she's guardian. Yeah, she barks because she's happy. Okay, so the the long and short of it is that I'm getting ready to finish moving. And then I have to stay with my aunt for two weeks. And then I'm on the 31st, I'm flying to California, which means the next time you hear my lovely voice, I'll either be in California or in Chicago. Because two weeks after that, I'm flying right back out to Chicago again because my life is awesome. Okay, moving on. Why are you flying out to Chicago? Uh, for the Seder and to hang out with my mom for a little while. Gotcha. And your sister, or is she not there? She's there. She doesn't live with my mom anymore, but she's there. No, I know that, yeah. but you'll presumably you'll yes. see her. Okay. Uh, obviously, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, it feels more real that you're moving here now that you're, all your shit is in my apartment. So that's exciting. That is good. No, it's actually really bad. I really don't want you to come here. No, oh, that's terrible. It's just, it just, it just the, the sort of anxiety has turned into existential dread. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it is now time for JP Report Back. Uh, so speaking of you being in California, I asked you to come up with a list of, of physical places in the area that you would want to visit with me. 
Yes, correct. And I have that list right here. So what I actually did was I went through, um, I bypassed the things we've already done. Um, and I looked at a couple things. The first thing I looked at is uh, I looked at events that were happening coming up in Sacramento. One of them is the Lantern Street Festival and the other is the, uh, there's a Lego Fest coming. Oh, um, I didn't know about that. Yes. Uh, and then there is something called Operation City Quest, which is a walking scavenger hunt in mm. the city. And it doesn't involve being trapped in a room. So, you know, it's the kind of puzzle game I prefer. Um, and then I don't know how I you feel about that. this. You might be into it. You might not. But there is uh, there is a place in Sacramento that does plant nights where you go and you make like a, a terrarium or like a little like succulent like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, situation. I'll be, be all over that. And it's like for adults, and they have like you know beer and wine and stuff. Um, and you make plants, you make plant things. Um, and then, but Joanna, wouldn't you just like get a plant and then like kill it within a month? Well, that's why they're succulents, so it takes them like six months to die instead. Um, <laughs> um, there is a place called AMF. Do you know it? AMF? No, it's I don't. Like they're like bowling lanes, and it's an arcade. Um, Oh, is this like a like a family fun center sort of thing? Yeah, a little bit, but it's also got you know, it's also grown ups. Oh, okay. No, I said yeah. I did look this up. The reason I don't like one of my my big um, blind spot in Sacramento is that I live in what's called um, the grid. Yeah, which is a um, set of streets that sort of form downtown and what's called midtown and a few other neighborhoods. One of them is Mansion Flats where I live. So it's streets A through Z and numbered like one through 30. And so I have a pretty good idea of what's in that grid when we go outside basically because I don't have a car, right? So when we go to things that I could not easily get to by walking or transit, my knowledge of things drops off significantly. Yeah, gotcha. and, th- and those are outside that area. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, also because I have no friends so you know people don't take me nope. in all seriousness so I don't have anyone who, I think it would take me bowling so yes I'd be all about that even though bowling with Joanna is sort of like wrestling with a toddler that's true uh, except slightly more ethical okay um, <sighs> what what's next so uh, on my list we have I said AMF um, mm-hmm. yes so I found a bunch of things on meetup one of them is the uh, silent book club and that's a meetup where you everybody brings a book of their choice and everybody just sits around and reads it and like you talk for the first half hour and the last half hour and that's it and i'm like this is fucking magical and we have to go so i put that one down we actually do that as a library program at spl as well that's amazing um there's i'm gonna be clicking around a little bit um so that's fine um go for it click 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 there's there's something called the sacramento salon mm-hmm. um Oh boy. Uh, the true spirit of conversation consists in building one another man, one another man's observation, not overturning it. The Sacramento Salon is an informal group that meets regularly for lively conversation and the exchange of ideas. That sounds like sort of something we're into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we represent diverse experience, talent, and insights. Presumably also um, diverse other things as well. Um, wait, wait, what does that mean? You know, diverse uh, forms of rhetoric and thoughtlessness. Oh, gotcha. Um, and then I put Toastmasters on here just because I think it could be kind of fun. Um, I have I haven't really ever done it, um, mm-hmm. but it it seems like a fun like like I I have a Toastmasters contact if we need to get involved. 
um, one of the librarians at my who just recently retired from my job is very involved in Toastmasters and actually left like a little Toastmasters like flyer contact thing <laughs> in the break room. Um, and then since we both kind of have writing projects going on, um, I put in the local chapter of Shut Up and Write. You know what that is? It's kind of yeah. like Shut Up and Read, only it's Shut Up and Write. Um, and then, uh, Sac Dilettantes, Experiencing and Discussing the Arts. This group is focused on experience and discussing various forms of art, including music, film, theater, dance, poetry, literature, painting, and sculpture. Possible events may include blah, blah, blah. The idea is that, is that group events would involve experiencing some sort of art and then discussing the aesthetic, emotional, artistic, expressive, and social implications. <laughs> no! Put the plate back in the matter. Do you know why I'm grinning right now? Why are you grinning? Because what you've essentially done with the last few selections is picked things that are stereotypically New York City. I know. And found them in what? Sacramento. <laughs> like, I want to do those. Yes, that makes sense, right? Maybe. I mean, it does make sense, but it's also funny because you were the kind of person who was like, you can't find these things in places like Sacramento, you know, your, your cow town. Well, we're going to try. It is a cow town, to be clear. But, we're going to um, try. Yeah. Um, and then I put in your ye old board game meetup. Um, so Sacramento board gamers, car games, and miniatures meetup group. And bo- board games and beer, uh, that one too. I didn't, even, I didn't yeah. even put that one down. I just put this one down because it's as a representative because it's a, it's like the yeah. biggest and the most active. What I did was I filtered it by most active and pulled the first board grand group that came up. Yeah, there, there are two, there are two big ones basically. Yeah. Um, one of them, one of them I can't go to because it meets Tuesday nights and I work till eight on Tuesday, so I've unfortunately is never able to attend that one. Uh, but there's another one that we can that we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that one, obviously. I it will depend on your work schedule, but I can't. Um, but I, you know, I could take a PTO once in a while. Uh, so that was the second category was meetup things. What was the third? Was it like restaurants or or things like that? No, that was it. I did events and meetups. What I didn't do is oh, I have a day trip listed here. I looked at at the various day trips, and the one that was kind of interesting to me was I don't say you say Carmel Carmel by the sea. Um, mm-hmm. that looked like, a, that looked like it could be fun. Um, and that is basically just a beach town, but you know, um, it looked like a nice beach and it could be fun to do, uh, probably not on a weekend day because it's probably very busy, but like on one, uh, the first week I come, maybe one of those days. Um, and so, you know, most of the day trips are, um, very naturey. Um, and like are mm-hmm. full of like athletic activities, but this one is also very mm-hmm. naturey because you know it's basically the point is that it's by the sea, it's outside or whatever. But it right. seemed like it could be if we went at the right time, it could be like a nice, slow, relaxing day as opposed to like a yeah. crazy yeah. like ski or hike this thing day. So yeah, yeah. I and and what Joanna means by that is that we'd go to the beach and she'd sit down and start reading a book, and then I'd want to hang out. And she'd be like, "Don't leave me alone. I'm reading." Not necessarily. <laughs> I would talk to you for you know fifteen minute intervals here and there. That's right. Um, and then you didn't do any restaurants or stuff because we figured you, you that we'll do that more ad hoc. Yeah, that's right. The restaurants I didn't put down. I know we talked about doing every brewery on the grid, but since we already talked about yeah. it, I decided that that was not yeah. something to put on the list. Um, I looked at the things I looked at because I thought they were things that like we hadn't really thought of before. Like, yeah, yeah, you're and you're so right. You did a good thought. job. Yeah, like. Because everything else felt like, okay, that these are obvious. And if I put them on the list, they'll be obvious, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, um, thank you for doing yeah. that. So, uh, what did you assign me? I assigned you to make me a playlist of songs to exercise to. <laughs> That's what I did. A workout playlist, yeah. So I did make a playlist. I a playlist. I can't speak. I did make a playlist. Oh, stop. I did make a playlist. I did make oh, a, I made playlist. a playlist. Oh, I did. I made a playlist. Can I have another? Um. So um. Hello. And for both, stop it. For both time and uh, technical complexity re reasons, I'm not like playing the playlist on here. But uh, what we can do is either I can host on my website or Jenna can host it on hers. So we can put a link in the podcast description for people who want to listen to it. Um, but I will um, give a track listing and we'll be hearing one of these during the song break as well. So the playlist opens with the Spinal Tap Classic, Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You Tonight. It then moves to Ray of Speed mm -hmm. by Matthias Hockstrom Gert and Dea Wingen, which is a uh, a remix of a song from the Armored Core series, which has this very weird mix of like choral music and hard rock. Oh, cool! I mean, so you know, this is all, this is all filtered through my taste, of course. But the idea is that it's an exercise yeah. playlist, so these are all sort of up tempo. Yeah, up tempo. Yeah. Um, Third is the Picard song by Dark Materia, which awesome. uh, will be. Have you have you heard that before? No. So I'll I'll have a whole thing about that uh, during the song break. So we'll table that for a second. Uh, the fourth is Hang On, uh, which is the main theme from the game Hang On, which is a um, 1980s motorcycle racing game. Astute listeners will recognize that as the song I use as the intro music for episode six, the last episode. It is probably yeah. my favorite piece of eight bit music. The fifth is uh, Mona Lisa, which is a song from the film Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, by The Lonely Island, uh, which I, I'm a big fan of. Cool. The sixth is Final Fantasy Firecross. This is a extensive med like hard rock medley of the battle music from like eight different Final Fantasy games. Um, it's done by a, a Brazilian uh, artist named Luisa, who, who I'm a big fan of her, her work. Um, the second, then it's, uh, Beating My Head Against a Wall by Jeff Rosenthal. Just a very short, quick kind of punky thing that I like. Cool. Uh, eighth is, uh, Harbor Coat by R.E.M. R.E.M. doesn't really do exercise music, so I was like, what's the one that I kind of find the most driving? And that was it for me. Number nine is Strange in L.A. by Lightbur. When we go a little bit into synth, synth pop, and this, I thought this was, uh, a good fit for your move to California. Because even though it's about LA, it has a bunch of sort of, you know, right, cynical observations about California lyrics. Mm -hmm. uh, the tenth is uh, Shadow of the Colossus, Wander on the Offensive, uh, which is a uh, live recorded rock medley of music from the Shadow from Shadow of the Colossus. Which oh, that's is awesome. I really like. When did when did Shadow of the Colossus come out? Two thousand five. There I was, was gonna say, I feel like I was in college when that came you, out. Yes. I was. Um, but there was a recent uh, remake to the PS4 for the PS4. Oh, really? Just like two years ago, which was very well received. I mean, it's That's like awesome. a, it's a sh like straight up remake. It's just, you know, up new graphics and everything. Right, just upgrading uh, graphics. But, but, but it was, everyone said, you know, this was clearly a labor of love from, you know, developers who loved the original game, uh, trying to bring it to a new generation. Uh, the 11th song is Light Up the Night by the Proto Men. This is the penultimate song. I'm going to stop. Yeah, waiting for the thing to be tonight. 
The eleventh uh, song is "Light Up the Night" by the Proto Men, which is the penultimate song. God fucking damn it! I'm just gonna stop for like a minute. But why are they doing that? Why don't they just run the siren? Why are they going like whoop whoop whoop? I don't know. Why? What's the point? Why? Why is it that the only thing? Oh my god. When we're done, when we're—I swear, when we're, it's like when we're done with this. I have to tell you the, a, a story about inappropriate laughing from the musical I went to. Okay. The eleventh song is "Light Up the Night" by the Proto Men. Uh, this is the p- penultimate song on Act Two, "The Father of Death," which is the the second in the uh, theoretical Proto Men trilogy. Uh, and it's it's a really I mean they make essentially rock operas loosely based on Mega Man so the cool. song is part of a story but it's one of the few that really stands on its own as a oh, sort that's of good. Solid song yeah, that's so, good. so it won't be like what's happening right I mean like it has story context but you can also just like listen to it as a sort of a, a thematic pop song and it totally works yeah um and the final one is Ska Buffet by the Overclocked Plaid Muffins which is a supergroup of uh musicians who who contribute to overclocked remix the premier video game remix site and what they did is they basically formed a ska band to do a cover of a kirby song uh called clash gourmet race and then had the aforementioned uh louisa do the vocals as as kirby just singing about all the things he's gonna eat oh my god it's really good i'd also be interesting to see if you can hear her brazilian accent come across in the singing yeah, and that's uh, that's the playlist, and it is forty five minutes and four seconds. So I got pretty close to the uh, mark. That's awesome. So it's now on to uh, JP awesome. assignments. That's awesome. I feel like I can't stop saying that's awesome, but I do think it's awesome. I, I hope I hope you that. enjoy it. Um, yeah, and I hope you you find it legitimately enjoyable and not just quote unquote funny. Sorry, that sounded really snide, but I actually mean that that I hope you find it enjoyable. Um, so for JP assignments, what do you have to assign to me? JP assignments. So for your assignment, um, what I, I thought about it and what I decided is that like, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, what makes us individuals, you know, like where, um, whoa, I know it's very like, that's mental, deep like, where you know you know in a in a society with a lot of social production how does one distinguish oneself right um wait 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 so, so we're like we're individuals but we live in a society so uh right exactly <laughs> so uh dylan your assignment is to write a uh uh like an autobiographical sketch i say write just because i don't really see you like you know designing a short game or like uh-huh. you know writing a piece of music but it doesn't have to be like non-fiction it could be like a short story or like whatever but a sketch like a like a one-page sketch of the things that um make uh the things that like make dylan distinct so like where the line between the world ends and dylan begins I'm not quite sure what you mean by a sketch. So, like, uh, what I'm doing, what I'm not doing is writing a list of all the things that, that are my distinct traits. You right. want me to write, like, a scene in which those traits are displayed? Yes. Or it could just be, like, a bio- like a biographical statement if you don't want to do that. Okay. Like, or it could be, 
Um, I said writing just because I couldn't. No, no, yeah, no, medium, that makes but sense. Creative medium yeah. of expression. I, I just worry that for that to come across in fiction would require me to write a great many pages. Yeah, you right. Know. Yeah. I, I'm full of my own complexity. <laughs> you are. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you know, which might uh, you have three JP to spend. So, <laughs> right. Uh, so, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, well, no, let's talk about that now. So, I think this will probably be either two or three JP, right? So you'll essentially zero out uh, your JP. So before we, before the next podcast, we you need to generate some, right? Yeah. So uh, remember how podcasts ago we talked about this whole achievement system, badges. Remember? Yes. Did you? But ever- then I think I think we mostly I felt. Maybe I just decided this in my head. I think you But did. I felt like now that we're going to be in the same place again, we can just go back to using the regular JP system. Okay. Because this one was clunky. It was like a, yeah. like a you know, Well, you were you were really excited about it. You're like, this is going to be so awesome. And then we got to the part where it actually required you to sit down and do a little bit of work to make and it happen. Sucked, and yeah. <laughs> And you couldn't do it. Um, okay, that's fine. So just before we record, we're going to have to – get back in the habit and make some bets yeah exactly um, um no stop it be too hard um <laughs> of course there is a catch joanna that by the traditional system you only get jp when you're right and so i'm serious you would go months without earning any jp because every time we bet on anything i was right except i obviously got jp Sometimes, because I have JP, right? No, so you did. Even but, if we followed the exact same pattern, there would be JP. Yeah, that's true. Most of that JP that you have was actually where we were like both half right about something. Some and... of it came from you making bad luck bets. Right. So at least one was bad luck. You did um, You did get some for the correct – I think there are a couple cases where, where I've been straight up wrong. Um, the only one I know for a fact is when I – thought it was pronounced archipelago yeah and, and i didn't push i don't generally push people on that kind yeah of i know but um, no, she emma, saw an opportunity to earn some jp saying, and she took it emma is a fan of saying misled instead of misled and i just wait okay so the thing with something like archipelago like even though it's wrong you understand why someone would say that because that's like phonetic, right? Like if you're reading the word in a book. Yeah, well, never... think about you're reading, looking at the word misled. M-I-S-L-E-D. It could be misled. No, because no. Because like misled, like that's the phonetic straight reading of it. And in that S-L, like if it was misled, there would be a vowel between the S and the L. Because English doesn't do the whole S-L thing. Like what words have S and L next to each other in English? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 but anyways, the point is, she says misled, and then somebody pointed out to me that when your friend says something incorrectly a lot, that you should correct them because there could be a situation where it matters, like a job interview, um, um, and you want to tell them before they get into that situation, even if it seems like it's embarrassing them to bring it up in the moment. Mm-hmm. So then I did. Um, did she get annoyed? And I just remember that because it was a whole situation. And now I'm talking about another podcast because yeah. I'm a very good person. Well, it just, it just, well, no, and and I, I mean, I, as you know, like I'm, I'm no judgment here. Like I'm, I think there's a certain type of person who, you know, grows up reading a lot, and by that process, you read a lot of words that people don't generally use day to day, so you end up just mispronouncing all these things, and that's you know totally fine. 
Um, I am not personally like it doesn't bother me when people correct me about my language because it it doesn't reflect on my character, right? It's not like Dylan, you're a bad person because you said this word wrong, right? But one thing I have learned is there's a bunch of people who do get really bothered if you're like you said that word wrong. Even though I myself, and this may surprise listeners, but I actually very rarely correct people on pronunciation. The only time I do it is when there's yeah. um, potential for people to be confused. So for instance, the other David was telling us what his cards were in Imperial Assault. Sorry, David, for for throwing you under the bus here. But um, he was like, and I have the special power Shadow Corpse. Uh, and I'm like, it's Shadow Core. I only said that because... Everyone else was gonna think it really was Shadow Corpse and be really confused about why the the st- storm the uh, stormtroopers Imperial stormtroopers had like zombies. <laughs> yeah, it always takes me a moment to to get core correctly too. And until very recently, I thought that indict and indict mm-hmm. were two words that meant the same thing. Oh, interesting. As opposed to indict just being indict. Um, and also, um, I probably told you this one, but for a very long time. I thought chaos and chaos were the same. Yes, thing. we've talked about we've thing. talked about yeah. that. There are a few of those. Yeah, um, we all have them. Most recently, I was talking to somebody and I said vinyl instead of vinyl. Weird. What? It's just how I've always said it in my head. Well, you must. So you must have not grown up with any people who were like record collectors, because you had those people in your life. You you would <laughs> you would fix that real quick. Um. Okay. Um. So. Oh, so is the thing you're signing me, do we think that's 2JP? 3JP? Uh, I would say if it's two pages, then 2JP. If it's one page, then 1JP, however long it ends up being. Okay. Okay. You know, double-spaced. So yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's definitely going to be at least two if it's double-spaced. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, writing about <laughs> yeah, myself. It's just like, actually double-spaced like it's an assignment. But what the fuck happened? You know. Okay. I okay. mean, I'm not saying that you need to like to sit there and write like, a thousand words. No, I know. I know. Want, well, you know, I mean, just, you know, even in a thousand words, it would be really hard for me to represent the complexity of, of my being. The complexity of your being. The The goal is not necessarily to represent the complexity. Just what's weird about me. The distinctness of your being. Right. What's weird about me. <laughs> or, or you could just list all the ways in which I am not you. That also works. Oh, my God. That's not even. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, wait, is that really what this assignment is about? Have you tipped your hand? No, I, okay. just, I just can't, I just fell into that joke. I was like, okay. oh man. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's the, it's your distinctness. My yes. distinctness. Uh, is there a part two? Am I going to read this? And you're going to be like, and this is why I assigned you this. No. Do you want to tell us now then why you're assigning this? Why I'm assigning you this thing? Like, is because it? Because I. Go ahead. Because I have been contemplating the, well, I mean, it's a big, long thing, but okay, okay. It, it, it's, do you want to, do, why don't you assign me and then I'll get, give you my big, long thing. Okay. Okay. So your assignment is to write a postmortem, and this will also be short, so not like a big novel, but you know, a few pages, however much it needs to be of your novel, of the experience of writing your novel from, from completion to publication because that was a thing that took many years of your life and was a really big project. And kind of once you got it out the door, it's like we haven't mentioned it since, you know, kind of like. And I think that was clearly like yeah. a really big thing you did. And it's probably worth, you okay. know, having a little time. A little time has gone by kind of looking back and, you know, just saying 
what was that like? What did I learn? What did I get out of it? You know, things like that. Right. Yeah, does that uh, make... I can do that. Okay. Uh, okay, give me your big long thing. People in Society okay. by Joanna. All right. So hold on to your hats, guys. This is a biggie. Um, the This has to do with what this is going to end up being about is Omar Ilhan, or however you say her last name, Ilhan Omar. Who we talked about last time. Omar, yeah. Ilhan Omar um, and um, intersectionality. Uh -oh. Um, oh, so, no. Oh, no. She said intersectionality. Shut down the podcast. Hold, hold on to your hats. Here we go. One of the things that I find very interesting about the current discourse around her, um, quite apart from the content of what she's saying, is the legitimacy of criticizing her if you are not a person of color but you are a jew so like somebody like me right who is uh white-skinned um and jewish um uh one of the things i see coming up you know is like uh the people to listen to are the jews of color right like they're the people who know who can who can comment on anti-semitism right and i feel like you know one of the things that isn't often clarified right is like you know when you talk about intersectionality and you talk about trying to approach things in an intersectional way there are a couple things going on one is that you're trying to build up the number of people who get to claim something not diminish it mm -hmm. and the second thing is that um it's well in theory right in, exactly in theory and then the second thing is that um it is often a strategic approach as opposed to a philosophical reflection, right? Right. So intersectional uh, politics are more powerful because you have coalitions, mm -hmm. right? Because if you can, if you can say, okay, these different kinds of experiences that we're trying to alleviate um, actually have some inherent connection, we're together fighting this together, yeah. right? Um, so there's something kind of strategic about it, and because of that, there's a question of you know, doing it to come down on the right side of history, right? Like doing the right thing, not just on principle, but on like, you know, but on reflection, this was a good action, right? Mm. Having done, you know, like, so, um, and I think that there's. So, and and that's, so, that's sort of, that's the, the aspirational idea of intersectionality. Right. Correct. Okay. And, and, and so what we're actually seeing, and not just in this case, but in many cases, I think, is intersectionality as a way of delegitimizing de points of view, right? So, like, the, the fewer things you can claim, the less legitimate you are, the less legitimate your voice is, because the more privilege you have, um, right? So I have white privilege, which means I am less able to comment on prejudice than somebody who is also Jewish and does not have white privilege. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, for example. Um, so, uh, but I think that one thing that gets left out a lot, right. Both by people who are very critical uh, of Omar and people who are, you know, absolutely defending her um, is that in, you know, the, the lived experience of talking about anti-Semitism as a Jew, right? We're not, you know, the cultural feeling, right? Not the rational belief, not the, like, deductions or the, like, mm -hmm. political positions, but the the sentiment is, right? 
we're not trying to get we're not trying to be on the right side of history we're trying to not get wiped off the face of the planet right like that's what it's like to be a jew having this conversation Mm -hmm. and so um you know one of the things that i come back to a lot when i think about that is like oh this is a this is a really weird moment of intersection uh instead of um uh you know we talk about intersectionality when we really mean something like mutually constitutive um, or like stuff that builds each other up. Right. But what intersectional means or like an intersection, right. Just means the, the many directions from one point. Right. And like one of the things that like, it's not obvious that those things necessarily um, have something in common once you, once you, whatever, the analogy being if you're at an intersection and you turn left, you know, and you start going down that road, eventually you're not at an intersection anymore, right? Like, that's the idea. So, like, at what point do, do you branch off and become, like, a distinct thing? And then, you know do you get more and more distinct? Is that how it works? Like, do you start as like an everybody and then you become a Jew and then you become a white Jew and then you become a white Jew who's babbling on a podcast? Like how, like, you know, where's the point that you, and then as you go along, where do you get to the point that is just you, you know, that is just you. And that's how I got there. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, because if my criticism, which is my criticism is that like your consideration of me fails you know, on, on, on many levels, because what you're, what you're criticizing is not representative of what I am. Well, then, you know, when you get right down to it, like what, like, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but like, what am I relatively speaking Mm -hmm. relative to the larger, what makes me, me. Right. Yep. So that's basically it. What makes Dylan Dylan? Yep. That was a great explanation. And I did want to, uh, per the theme of the podcast, just say how much, I love those sort of philosophical monologues from you. I think I like you sometimes the the most that I ever like you when you're giving those. Uh, and, and I think the re- and I think the reason is because they're so. I think, as you note, in a world that's so full of strategic rhetoric, the idea of someone just open heartedly and sincerely unspooling a thought is refreshing and wonderful to hear right it's actually really here to someone just be like here's an idea yes well if you if you read hannah arendt she talks about this and she says that like you should not aim to get to a conclusion you should start at a conclusion and move outward right that that should be the beginning of a thought process she's great everybody should read yeah i've not i've not read arendt nearly as much as joanna did but i did read eichmann in jerusalem I did really like it. And I actually had like a, this was, I was reading, I think fairly early when I started my job and I had a smart, small moment of, of bonding with my boss, who's um, at the time, who's a very different person than I am. But I was reading Eichmann in Jerusalem. She's like, oh, Eichmann in Jerusalem. That's really good. Right. And that's not something where like, I mean, it was kind of a big deal 50 years ago, but generally speaking, you're not like walking around and people being like, yeah, Eichmann in Jerusalem. Right. So I was like, yeah. oh, cool. Like this person has, has layers that I didn't realize. Um, later I learned that my boss reads, like reads to completion approximately four books a week. Wow. So yeah, like she is a reading machine. So she is incredibly well-read. That's Uh, awesome. 
Yeah. That's awesome. It I is awesome. Stop saying it that. Is... I need a new fr- I need a new phrase. Yeah. I've said that's awesome. I know, no. It is. Podcast, well, the, it, the I mean... flip side, I eventually learned this because she, like most people do a lot of little things, right? Like we read a book and we watch some TV and we go to a movie and we play a video game and we go to the park, right? She has two hobbies. She reads books and she exercises. And that's it. And that's they're and they're both very good hobbies, but like doesn't really watch movies, you know, doesn't really do a lot of the things, you know. Um, yeah, I lately I've run into that thing too. Yeah. I have this big list of things I'm like I'm trying to watch, but it's like my first inclination if I'm by myself is not to turn on the TV. Exactly. Yeah, and I, it takes a little bit of going yeah. to get me to do that. And so, like, I, I'm yeah. the same way with the video games, where I just like my default is like that's my comfort zone. I have to be like, no, I'm going to the couch and I'm reading a book. And weirdly, this makes me very un- un-American. I have to force myself to watch TV. So we're actually similar in that way. Um, okay uh so we've done the assignments mm-hmm. i think we are on to your song break we're on dylan to dylan's Holmes. song break so what i'm gonna do is i'm going to uh play this song without commentary other than to say that this song uh is by somebody with the handle dark materia and first appeared on the internet in the year 2001 here's to the finest crew in starfleet engage Just leaving. I'm uh, not dressed properly. My love is a people longing still for that which longer nurses the disease. You'll have to go again. In faith, I do not love thee with my eyes. They be a thousand heresy, but tis my heart that loves what they despise. Who in despite of you are pleased to go shall I compare? 
first impressions and then i'll talk a little bit about that song uh it was interesting um like you know very star trekky uh i spent a lot of it because we weren't looking at the video i spent a lot of it you know identifying voices yeah um well you'll be able to to get more into it because it's on the playlist yes um so speaking of what makes me me, right? There are some things that I'm interested in that are very common interest, like being into video games, right? And, you know, maybe the ways in which I'm into them are unique to me, but it's a common interest. But then there are other things, interests I have that are very specific to me. And one of them is that I'm really interested in meme culture pre-Web 2.0. So the way in which, before we even use the word memes, generally speaking, the ways in which certain bits of information or, or artistry spread uh, person to person on the internet, so post-internet, um, before Facebook, YouTube, etc. Right. right. Because the day all you have to do to make a meme is you post it, and then a bunch of people hit share, and it sort of self-propagates, right? Yeah. But before the internet, so basically in 2001, there was this guy who might want to handle dark materia. And he had like a weird little website, which was to him giving episodes ratings to Star Trek episodes and, you know, uh, maybe a level he made for a game or something like that, right? And he just edited this, you know, before we had good digital video, right? So yeah. like probably getting like bits and pieces off of VHS tapes and who knows what, right? To make this weird little song that he had no expectation would ever find an audience of anyone, right? And then just posted it on his website, right? It's not on YouTube. It's There's no streaming music, right? Yeah. And people just... You know, someone posted on the Star Trek BBS or something, or they just share it with people and it passes person to person. I'm trying to remember where, where I first discovered it, but I know that I very actively read his website and actually used his uh, Star Trek episode guide the first time I went through Next Generation. Now, was he also the guy who did, um, sorry, the only line I remember from it is uh, bourbon whiskey? You know what no, I'm talking about? No. Yes, yes. Uh, no. So okay. and, and, and that's worth noting is is another of my niche interests is specifically montage 
uh, specifically people who t- who chop up things from other recorded media to make songs out of them. Yeah. It's like a very niche interest. So that's by the Gregory Brothers. You're thinking of Songify the News. That is literally uh, 13, 14 years later. So uh, this guy's way ahead of the curve on this. Gotcha. It's before Bad Lip Reading, before the Gregory Brothers, before any of those people doing things like that. And his website is no longer in existence. I had to find it on the Wayback Machine, but apparently he's still alive because apparently when I, I found this when I was looking for this, there's some really big next-gen podcast. It's sort of like a comedy podcast of people going through all of Star Trek and talking about it. Um, and apparently they wanted to use the song on their podcast, and they apparently tracked the guy down and got permission to use it somehow. So that's cool. The other thing is that what inspired me to put the song in your playlist is that when I was 16 years old in high school – someone sort of challenged me to make a dance cd for them which is very outside my wheelhouse sort of like you challenging me to make an exercise playlist so i went and i still have the playlist from that dance cd and this was one of the things that was on that so this was the one thing pulled from that uh, to put on here uh anyway yep so i will be both on the podcast and to you i'll be sending you a higher quality version than the one you listen to uh but it's a cool it's a cool little thing and i thought you'd like the uh darmok yeah angela for sure <laughs> i just like saying uh, that Darmok I know. So, so to be absolutely clear, I listened no. to this song probably a good eight or nine years before I ever saw that episode. Oh, really? So I had no, I had no context for what the hell that was. Uh, so that was Dylan's song break, uh, and next up is Media Club, where we're talking about jazz tronauts. Um, Joanna, I want you, I want you to have the first stab at explaining to an audience who has no idea what jazz tronauts is what Jastronauts is. Jastronauts is a uh, game that is, uses Gary's Mod in which you... Um, what is Gary's Mod? Gary's Mod is a physics simulator. Um, it's basically an open um, playground type uh, virtual environment. It's not really even technically a game. You just run around. Um, for some background, it um it's came out. It uses the Source engine and the assets from Half Life Two, a 2004 first person shooter, um, which had a lot of physics stuff in it, to basically open it up and let people change people's faces and do kind of silly right. things with those pieces, almost like a game engine. Exactly. Um, and so in this one, you play a thief, and you're going to, to, into different levels, but they're called universes in the context of the game that are created. They're levels that are not created by the game designer. They're just levels that are out there and you access them and you go in and you basically just, you know, um, uh, 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 bang up the levels. I mean, it's not like permanent damage or anything, but like you just like go around and um, collect shit from the levels and then uh, you go back and uh, um, trade in this stuff from other universes for money from these cat thieves. Uh, it's a good game, uh, and there's jazz. And if you're very good at the game, you might even get on the bus without dying. Okay, so I'm going to give a little bit more. I want Joanna to give her um, unfiltered uh, explanation, which probably made no sense to any of you. Um, <laughs> hey, so it for, made total yeah. sense. So what Jastronauts is, to kind of give alternate explanation, as noted, it's in Gary's Mod. Gary's Mod is, there are a bunch of different games people have made for Gary's Mod and the engine it uses. So people have made deathmatch maps for online multiplayer. They've made maps for co-op games that are like uh, Mafia, like the social game. They've made um, maps for for RPGs, right, where people go online and pretend to do various things. So they'll maybe make a Star Wars town, and they'll pretend to be Star Wars characters online, right? People do all sorts of things. 
And so uh, Jash Knots opens with you going through what looks like sort of a crappy Half-Life 2 map, and eventually these cats suddenly appear, and they have dialogue amongst each other. So it's sort of like a visual novel, right? There's like cutscenes with these cats. And eventually you hop on their interstellar trolley, which takes you to this bar called Samsara, where all the cats hang out, and you agree to join them in their heist. And so you get certain quests. So it might be go and find 10 binders. Uh, they need binders for a reason. And so you have a little machine which will randomly select levels throughout the, the universe and just give you a picture and their name. You don't know anything about them. And then you try to select either levels that look interesting to you or the ones that like, here's a level I think will have binders in it. And so you're giving something like a prop stealer. And what this is is that the way you build levels is like there are models, right? There are objects in levels. Right. And then there are what are called brushes, which are things you put on them both to give them texture and also to give them certain characteristics. And you can both st- – and you're going and stealing the models. So basically they built this thing. And it's it's one of these things where the more you understand about game design, the more you appreciate how incredibly complicated this mod is because it's trying to – it's basically built a system to suck up all the levels that are just out on the universe, somehow feed them into this one game. And then sort of create like an overarching narrative because as you you're also going and getting shards from levels and as you right. get these shards like it's sort of and and you complete characters quests you get to have cutscenes with them. Um, one of the best parts is is you get money for all the things you steal. So there's like a place where you go and you pull a giant lever and every single object you've picked up, whether it's a binder or a giant statue, just comes out of yeah. This the, tube. the background music when that happens is great too. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a you want a game show music. Yeah. Um, and probably my my absolute favorite part of it is that the way you leave a level is that you both have a trolley summoning gun, and you both aim at the same spot, and they've animated it so, like, if you just aim it at a wall in the level, this trolley just, like, busts through the wall, and then you get on the trolley, and you go through, like, an interstellar jazzosphere to get back. And as Joanna notes, often she has the brilliant idea of, like, she'll, like, stand in front of a wall and summon the trolley, so then it just crumbs through the wall and runs her over. Yes. Or um, if I'm trying to get on, there's something that I do every time I try to get on the trolley where so I somehow just, end up dying. Yeah, I just well, you have to like sit you have to sit in the seat and she's just like standing near the trolley or or not properly sit and the trolley runs you over. Yeah. Um but it's it's such a brilliant like video games like every other medium can become calcified. There can be a sense of like everything's working within established genres and we sort of know what's going on. And so it's really lovely when something just completely bursts through expectations right when you play a game that you couldn't even imagine existing if you weren't playing it when we were first playing it during our first session joanna just kept saying this is so weird this is so weird and she just kept saying that over and over it was so weird um and i know i'm not saying you're wrong but it just goes to show like just how much but what i love about it is like often we think of art that's really weird we think of art that's inscrutable like people you know all the insert rant about people don't understand modern art or whatever Whereas this isn't, right? Like, you can play it, you understand what you need to do, there's, you know, a sensible narrative, you know, it's just really imaginative. Um, we're all probably only about 20% of the way through. Yeah. Like, um, we have a lot more to play, and we, we will finish it, right, Joanna? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I'm super into this game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not like once, we're at, once I'm in California, we have to, like, never play a computer game, you know, ever again. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, we're gonna have a little bit of a pause because Joanna's shipping things. Uh, yeah. We're playing it again on Monday, but uh, I I adore Jastronauts, and it's so interesting because you go and you see all these little things. Like someone may have like made a level that's just like some middle scorer like modeling their high school as just like a building experiment, and so you just like 
teleport in there with no context and be like, what is this place? Oh, there's also a place called the museum, which is they made like a little museum teaching you how people make levels and like what all these things mean in the context of, of Half-Life and the Source Engine. So you can go wander around in there and see see how things work. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about Jastronauts? Um, what was I about to say? Um, right. So I think the really key thing to remember is that if you're playing this game for the first time, give it a little while. Like, you know, it's not going to make any sense for a little while and just roll with it. Like, just, you know, decide, okay, if I don't like this game after playing for an hour and a half, then I will never play it again. Yep, sounds legit. Yep. Um, But if you don't like this game, then you have no soul. Yeah, so that was Jastronauts. Uh, what are we doing for Media Club next month, Joanna? Next month for Media Club, we are doing... What are we doing next month for Media Club? I don't... You picked it. You told me. Did I pick it? Yes. What did I pick? Chess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did pick chess. It's my it's my spatial practice. Also, it seemed like a very simple and straightforward thing. Yeah. We're going to play chess. We're going to play presumably more than one round of chess, a few rounds of chess. Yeah, right. We're going to yeah. play chess um, a few times. My my primary, like my TV table is actually a, a chess table, um, which we, we I picked up on Woodby at one point. Uh, and I have a nice chess set. So we're going to play chess a bit. We're going to read an article that's about um, the history of chess and the flaws in the game. And uh, we're just going to talk about our individual relationships to the great game, as it's sometimes called. That's what we'll be doing. This also is conveniently a game that does not require a computer because right. your computer may still be in a box. <laughs> um, okay. Then it's the... Joke of the Month. By, by just by Joanna, but it's actually by Dylan. It's my Joke of the Month. It's J- Dylan's Joke of the Month. It's because we talked about next podcast one of us is going to do one and the other is going to do the other yeah we're We're gonna we're gonna stop stop monopolizing it so we'll start swapping it next podcast but yeah this podcast it's all me so because uh we were doing because i've had star trek on the mind because while i appreciate joanna as a friend mostly i like her as a warm body to watch star trek with and so i've been very excited for her moving to sacramento to be my warm body to watch star trek with uh and also because i picked the picard song for this star trek I want to do a few Star Trek jokes. Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. So I read Star a bunch Trek. of a bunch of different Star Trek jokes online, most of which are terrible, and I picked my favorite terrible ones. Go. So, why did Worf change his hair color? I don't know why. It was a good day to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay, keep going. No. And... This one's more of a narrative. Picard was devastated to have accidentally broken Dr. Crusher's antique sewing machine. It seemed it was beyond repair until Data said he had detailed files and could fix it, to which Picard replied, Mr. Data, make it so. Make it so. <laughs> and my personal favorite of all the ones I've I found, how many betazoids does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. Two. One to change it, and one to say, Captain, I sense darkness. <laughs> That's amazing! <laughs> Wait, you didn't tell the Starship Enterprise joke. <laughs> Wait, what's the Starship Enterprise joke? I don't joke. know this one. 
No, um, I don't. What do the Starship Enterprise and a roll of toilet paper have in common? Does it involve the captain's log? No, they both circle oh. Uranus looking for Klingons. Okay, yeah, okay, I did see that one. You know that one. I didn't know it until I looked it up today. Um, but, oh my god, that's terrible. Uh, but yes, that those were my Star Trek jokes. Uh, moving on, there's one thing. If Joanna and I may change over time, and we may not always agree with each other, but we both agree that Counselor Troy should not be an officer on the bridge. I'm sure she's perfectly good at being a one-on-one therapist for the crew, but on the bridge she is not useful. Not at all. <laughs> um, Okie dokie. So, next up is Dylan's Game Corner. Dylan's Game Corner. And I will, interge- I will say two things as a little bit of a preface since I've been doing this for a little while. One is that I think I'm such like a formalist at heart that I've often been leaping into talking about the formal aspects of the game I find interesting without actually giving you like a sense of what the game is and what it's about. So I'm going to try to have a little bit <laughs> more of that this time. Ooh. Also, Joanna, please feel free to interrupt me and ask questions. Okay. It's okay if I just monologue, but if you're like, oh, I'm curious about that, feel free. Sounds good. Um, so I'm talking about actually a series rather than an individual game this time called um, In Japan, which is where the series is from. It's called, please forgive my terrible pronunciation, Ryuka Gotoku, which translates to Like a Dragon. Uh, but in the West, it was retitled Yakuza. The reason for this is that um, in Japan, one of like the most established film genres is the Yakuza film. Like There was a period of Japanese history where you basically had three, t- three film genres. You had contemporary period dramas, you had samurai movies, and you had Yakuza movies, right? So Yakuza film is to Japan maybe like what the Western is to the United States. In uh, the U.S., we don't have that cultural context. So I think they just retitled it Yakuza just to be like, that's what this is right, you know, that would for be an like American audience. We, yeah. yeah. Um, it's sort of like if, if there's a culture that had no context for Star Wars, you're just like, this is called space opera. <laughs> there are seven games in the series, seven main series games, released between 2005, which is when the first one came out, and 2016, which is when the last one came out. Um, there are also six spin-off games within the same universe. Um, so it's a huge series. Uh, though it is worth knowing that the one in 2016 is sort of the end of that story. So insofar as they make new ones, it'll be new series and stuff. It is sort of complete at this point. Uh, today we'll be talking about the three of them that I've played, which are the original Yakuza, released in 2005, Yakuza Zero, released in 2015, and Yakuza Kiwami, which I'm currently wrapping up and was released in 2016. So I first played Yakuza around uh, 2007. It's long enough to know that I don't remember exactly when I played it. But uh, while the series has changed and improved a lot since that first game, the structure has more or less remained the same, so I wanted to talk about that. So first, what just to give, again, the, the basics of wh- what you're walking into when you start up this game. Uh, you play a guy named uh, Kazama Kiryu, mm-hmm. who's about a thir- 37-year-old um, Yakuza lieutenant. Uh, and it may be worth talking a little bit about what the Yakuza are uh, for those who are not familiar. So it's Japanese organized crime. And so in the West, we often will think of them as like the Japanese mafia or the Japanese triad. But of course, it's unique to Japan and has many uh, distinct cultural elements. I actually recently read, inspired by Yakuza Zero, I actually read like the go-to English language book on 
the history and practice of the Yakuza. So a few things to know about it is one is that it's a feudal system. Uh, so it's a little bit like the Italian mafia in a sense, where you basically have, you know, maybe a guy and they run like a family, right? There's like 12 guys and then they're under uh, a group and they're under somebody and they're under something. And then there's like a clan, like a clan hat. So there's like this massive pyramid of Yakuza. The big difference between them and uh, organized crime in the West is that they're not underground in the same way. So, like, if there's the Tojo clan, right, there will be a big office building, and it'll have Tojo clan headquarters, like, right on the front, right? So they're not hidden. They're operating in the open, though they're not doing the illegal things in the open, because often they'll have fronts of legitimate businesses. So on one hand, in reality, they do a lot of organized crime. There's do lots of business in methamphetamines. They do prostitution and even sexual slavery, uh, which is not obviously all very bad, Um but as with the mafia, but even more so, there's a history of this narrative of the honorable Yakuza, of the people going rogue outside the bounds of Japanese society. You know, there's sort of a code of honor, which historically does mean something. Like there's an idea that like they don't do violence against civilians, for instance. Um, and there's a big complex history, which you don't really need to know to play these games, but it is worth knowing that because... And of course, you know... Um once you once any system starts acting outside of legal rules right it's only so long before it you know the farther you stray the farther you're going to stray so eventually it does yeah you know meet civilian you know exactly and so one thing that this yakuza history i read which itself was written in like the 80s and had an update in like 2000 or something was a generational gap where there's this older generation that had this almost like bushido code of honor about how which was always being stretched but there was a real core to it and they mean like oh the young guys they just want to make money and they'll do anything they need to to make it yeah and i think also um as the technology surveillance technology has gotten better um what happens is you in in both societies people are getting taken off the street who are organized Mm-hmm. And you're leaving young people who are disorganized to run these systems, right? Yeah. And even apart from the fact that they're extra legal and violent, right? Illegal and violent. Um, you know, there's there's a difference between a 16 year old gun, a 16 year old with a gun, and like a 40, 50 year old with a gun, right? Like they're two different two different entities. Well, this is so. It turns out this is secretly Dylan's book club and Dylan's game club because I read this whole book about the yakuza. But to go a little bit more into that. Um, they, the Yakuza have their roots, all, you know, through all the way to ancient Japan, where there are essentially these two different groups of people. One were essentially the gamblers and one were like the street peddlers. And they both had, had their kind of their own quasi legal thing going on. Um, but one thing that happens is that because basically once you go Yakuza, that's your generally what you're doing for life. It's not generally a day job. Uh, and so two things happen. One is that a lot of disenfranchised people do fall into this line of work. And one thing that happened is that um, Japan has a long history of uh, imperialism with regards to the Korean Peninsula. You know, just like brutal rulership and, inv- you know, invading it at different points in history. Um, but there's also a group of ethnic Koreans who live in Japan and have generally been treated really badly by society. Because Japan is a essentially homogenous monoracial society and right. people who are not uh, part of that society yeah yes. get fought they actually was reading a really just today total coincidence i read an article by um an african-american who's been living in japan for 15 years and writing about that experience and one thing he he's learned is that in japan the general belief is that japanese people are incapable of being racist because it's a monocultural society and they've never met anyone of any other race and therefore they can't be racist 
that's that's the belief that any Japanese person will tell you. Um, so that's one of the, the ideas that he has to try to puncture delicately on a regular basis. Um, but uh, anyway, so a disproportionate amount of the Yakuza are ethnic Koreans uh, for that reason, because that's sort of, you know, that's the work they can get historically. Uh, another thing is that Yakuza typically um, often get full body tattoos to sort of mark you as, and, you know, uh, as part of the Yakuza. One thing that's also, you learn fun facts, like in Japan, almost nobody wears sunglasses because sunglasses are part of the Yakuza uniform. So you don't walk around wearing sunglasses unless you're trying to, and this either you're Yakuza or you're trying to make people think you're Yakuza. Mm-hmm. Um, they also wear like loud blazers, basically think of like 80s fashion, and that's like a lot in the Yakuza fashion. Anyway, but there's this whole genre of, you know, the countervailing forces between the honor of the Yakuza and, you know, the brutality of their organized crime. So step into this, this game, Yakuza. It's a PlayStation 2 game from 2005. So PlayStation 2, you know, fairly early 3D, uh, somewhat limited in what it can do. And it opens with this guy, Kazama Kiryu. He's uh, 37. He basically got into the Yakuza because uh, this he basically is an orphan, and the guy who, like, ran his orphanage was in the Yakuza, so he followed in his footsteps. Um, and he has a best friend, Nishikiyami, who is sort of his, you know, partner in crime. And at one point, long story short, um, there's a mutual friend of theirs that the uh, patriarch of their clan basically kidnaps and is going to, like, rape. Um, and Nishiyami finds it and murders him. And then Kazama Kiryu takes the fall and goes to jail for 10 years. Uh, so actually, I guess he's 27 when that happens. Um, and then the game opens with him coming out of jail 10 years later, finding that the world has changed. You know, people have cell phones now. What's a DVD? Um, and then very quickly, a conspiracy unfolds where the head of the clan has murdered. His, his formerly best friend seems to have gone evil. The, pers- the girl uh, in question is completely missing. He has to sort of put his life back together. Um, so that's the setup. So in trying talking about Yakuza is hard because it doesn't really – it's a lot of contradictory and weird components that are meshed into one beautiful thing. So I'll talk about what makes like the, the formal components of this game. The first one, then we'll go to the later ones. So on one hand, that's what I've talked about. It's a serious, fairly elaborate crime story full of cutscenes and dialogue. Um, really good voice acting. Well, we'll get to that in a second. It's full of twists and turns. It has a huge cast of characters. It has a lot of political intrigue. Uh, because one interesting thing about the Yakuza is that they're very tightly interwoven with the ruling, the party that has ruled Japan pretty much continuously since uh, World War II. They have a strong tie to the uh, the Japanese right and are often used by the right uh, to do extra legal activities, and also an enormous amount of brawls. Uh, second, from sort of a gameplay perspective, it's a brawler. A brawler is a classic game genre that had its heyday in the early '90s and has really rarely been seen since. Uh, the Yakuza series is, in fact, the only brawler series that even approaches mainstream that is present today. So, to understand what a brawler is, think of like a conventional fighting game. You know, the ones that are like local one-on-one multiplayer, like Street Fighter or Tekken or Soul Calibur. And then make that single player and have it be about fighting hordes of dudes. So you basically have one, like, ridiculously strong guy, you know, picking up anything that isn't nailed down and beating people up with chairs. Um, it's almost like pro wrestling, right? Um, so in keeping with its retro roots, the brawler is a fundamentally silly genre, but it's also really accessible. It's about dudes with ridiculous strength and endurance just like smashing everybody pieces, uh, and you can button your master part through the early parts of these games, right? 
And it's a very form of TV violence, right? So you can have a brawl where you pick up a bicycle and you smash it over someone's head, but at the end, there's no lasting damage and everybody right. can talk it out. Um, it's Think of like A-Team or something, you know? Um, and this sort of weightless violence helps support Yakuza's third leg, which is wandering around detailed, densely modeled few blo- blocks of uh, Tokyo called Kamurocho, which is a fictional location based on the real neighborhood of Kabukicho, which is a sort of night entertainment district full of love hotels, hostess clubs, restaurants, and nightclubs. Uh, and so when you're wandering around Kamurocho, uh, the protagonist, uh, Kiryu, you can sort of take in the sights and sounds. He can stop at restaurants and bars and order richly described dishes and engage in increasing variety of mini games. So in the first game, there's just batting cages, there's pool, there's a casino, there's darts. Um, the later games add more and more mini games. So by later in the series, you have like a full mahjong parlor. You have shogi, which is Japanese chess you can play. Uh, you have karaoke with all sorts of songs. Uh, one of the best features of the series is you'll like go to a karaoke bar with someone. And, you know, it's like a rhythm game, right? Mm-hmm. So the first part of it is like, you know, you just see your guy singing the mic in the karaoke bar. But at a certain point, it'll suddenly transition. And all of a sudden, like, he's in a music video. And it's like this whole, like, his life has become this music video. And some part of the Yakuza narrative will, like, be plugged into this. And it's, like, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but initially, as you're wandering around, Kiryu, who's maybe the core of the game, is sort of a very stoic and sort of naive uh, do-gooder. So he'll just sort of bumble his way into people's lives and help them out with things. And maybe that's playing matchmaker with a young couple. Maybe that's talking an old boxer out of fixing a fight. You know, it's, it's any number of things. And these stories are generally heartwarming. They're frequently funny. And they serve as a really excellent counterpoint to the melodrama of the main story. I've said before that I think the things that games are best at relative to other narrative mediums is world building. Because they can create these really elaborately detailed worlds and set the player loose in them. And even with the rudimentary technology of the PS2, Yakuza really excels here. But when I first played it about, you know, 10 years ago or more, uh, I appreciated the game, but I didn't love it. First, because it was full of these really unnecessary, obnoxious battles. Um, Like, you couldn't walk a full block without some gang of hoodlums just picking a fight for no reason. Which, like, felt like padding and really, like, made it less fun to explore because you're constantly being interrupted with these kind of obnoxious brawls. Um, second, I found the plot much better than the dialogue and characters, which often seemed like sort of overwrought, like, you know, organized gangster stereotypes, and it tried to be really edgy, so it's like, ooh, everyone's dropping F-bombs all over the place, you yeah. know, that sort of writing? Yeah. So that was not great. Um, but I had some fond memories of it, and I heard really good things about the game Yakuza 0, which was finally, which came out in 2015 and was ported to PC in um, last year. So this one, as the title implies, uh, one thing to know about the Yakuza games is they always take place when they're released. So the first game, released in 2005, takes place in 2005. So another cool thing about the series is that as you see it go on, you kind of see them react to changing technology and, and what's going on in society. Um, Yakuza 0 instead takes place in about 1988 or 1989, which is at the peak of the Japanese bubble economy. Uh, to make a long story short, Japan had like an enormous real estate bubble in the late 80s, which fueled all sorts of things. So it was like a time where there was just money everywhere and like people, you know, people throwing tons of money just to get a cab and just kind of a crazy 80s excess culture. Um, And Yakuza 0 sort of grounds it in that time. You play, I think, a then like 20-year-old Kiryu um, as he's first starting out in the Yakuza world. And it's just this elaborate, wonderful thing. It has multiple protagonists, including a guy named Goro Majima, 
who runs a nightclub, like a cabaret. Um, and there's like a whole side part of it about him running the cabaret and how he becomes the character who's ultimately an antagonist in future Yakuza games. Uh, there's tons of mini games, and there's really top-notch writing performances. And one thing I really realized was that in the first Yakuza game is dubbed, the one I played. Oh, and this one isn't. Um, and this one isn't. It's just translated. Uh, and the Japanese performances are really good, and they actually use motion capture for a bunch of like prominent Yakuza film actors in Japan. So it has great acting, really great performances, like fantastic antagonists. Um, and the writing's just really top-notch. And one thing that Yakuza 0 really leans into is sort of the goofiness of the side quests. So yeah. while still having that elaborate sort of crime story, main story, it just gets really, really silly side quests, like um, filming the music video for Thriller with not Michael Jackson. And... Um, start playing a slot car racing with a bunch of eight-year-olds and getting really into that scene. Just like all sorts of things. And, and one of the writers of um, Rock, Paper, Shotgun came to refer to the main character as Russell Dad. That he's sort of everybody's dad. He's just going through the world basically being people's father, helping them solve their problems in a really adorable way. Um, so I love that game. I played it extensively. Um, really enjoyed it. And so now I'm playing Yakuza Kiwami, which is a remake of the first game. Because they basically are doing remakes of the first two because they're on the PS2 and that's so sort of archaic that they need like a full remake. And this has made me realize that a big problem of the original was the localization. Like in this one, they don't swear because that's just not, it's not part of the Yakuza culture, right? It's much more stoic. Um, and the performances are fantastic. It's, uh, they really, basically they just really screwed up the translation, and they remove all the random battles, right? It's really easy to run away from battles that you don't want to have. And one thing is that as they just pile on the density and the detail of this place, Kamurocho, uh, it becomes a really nice place just to hang out. Uh, and the sort of button-mashing brawling is like really well counterbalanced by all the other mini-games and sort of strolling around. So as I said, there are seven games in the series. There's Yakuza 0, Yakuza, and then Yakuza 2 through 6. Eventually, it starts doing complicated things like having four different protagonists who switch between in different stories. But ultimately, the whole thing is the story of Kazuma Kiryu, more or less. And apparently, the Yakuza 6 is very much the end of his story. So it's not going like, to go on forever. Oh, okay. Um, I did also want to say that it's like it's kind of the only real successor to Shenmue, which I know I've, you've read my, my chapter in my book about and we've talked about before. About that style of sort of wandering around and just looking and listening. I was trying to figure out what made it work. Like, it took me a while to kind of come up with everything I just said and what really helped. Um, I have a, a game developer who I've actually been sort of internet friends with since I was like 12. He yeah. got on the Final Fantasy Alpha message boards back in the day. And I was saying, um, I actually wrote, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about it for my next podcast. And it's actually it's really hard to explain the appeal of it without just showing people. And he said, I feel like it's rare that it has a pretty hefty style of narrative that I've never seen for a game that is non-RPG, and it never feels like it's tacked on or in the way, or like a stall point between the action gameplay. Huh. And he said also the amazing amount of depth they managed to pack into the small play area. Wait, so what's the classic category for this then, game? R RPG. It's very RPG, where there's, uh, a, there's a ton of narrative and world-building interspersed throughout. Wait, he said for something that isn't an RPG. Right. So it's a brawler. It's a it's it's okay, almost yeah, an action game. You what the actual yeah 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 like, it, but it's not it's it's almost its own genre because it's not like a linear action game like most of them are. But often we talk about open world games. We talk about like things where you go across twenty square miles, right? 
And this is just a, almost everything takes place within a few city blocks. You know, occasionally you'll have, ex, you know, single excursions to other parts of Japan. Um, but as he said, just the amount of density increased in that place. And while different Yakuza games have you go to other neighborhoods and start expanding, that same neighborhood is always there and it's always part of the action. So in some ways, the place is the star of the series. That's cool. Yeah, and that's my very long-winded discussion of Yakuza. All right. So now we're going to have my very short-winded discussion of the unbearable lightness of being. Yeah, and let me me predict. I read it. It was unbearable. It was unbearable. (laughs) Um, So, uh, the unbearable lightness of being um, uh, is about a guy and his wife and the guy's a womanizer and a cheater and the wife is very unhappy about this. I feel like I've read this book before. You know, and there's like, basically the characters are all connected by who's fucking who. But the, um, the premise, the philosophical premise is very interesting of this book. I should say this book is not an easy read. It's like very uncomfortable. Um, and so I've actually started it before and not finished it. And I finally like sat down and read the whole thing recently. Because um, to be clear, the first time you read it, you just you just didn't find it bearable. Correct. It was unbearable. <laughs> um, but so the notion is that each person is not only like a finite creature, which we all sort of accept, right? But that um, – that everything that happens in one's life only happens once and that you only have absolutely one life to live and that's it, right? Um, And as a result of this, you have this unbearable lightness of being, right? Like this unbearable non-meaning of being, right? Because everything just happens once and then you're done and that's all of it, right? Like, Is the unbearability because we can only experience a tiny portion of of what life has to offer i think the unbearability is because there's no lasting it's the it's the unbearable finite nature yeah of of what you are right that everything blips and goes away it creates the sense if not the reality that nothing matters correct which is also a freedom right so it's presented both ways in this book it's presented both as this horrible you know, uh, sort of like existential, you know, anxiety. And then also presented as kind of a freedom um, of, you know, of nothing mattering, right? Um, And so, in fact, the way this book portrays, for example, love um, is without any of the usual, like one of the points, strong points that the author makes is that love is just a series of events that happen and then, cease to exist right so that like you know it's not the most comfortable read but it is very striking it's not like passive you know it's very very emotional um sort of pulls you right in it's just not easy to read um and so for that reason i don't really know how i feel about it as like a should you read this book but it is like so the unbearable lightness of being um but you found it fulfilling is it's actually it's an old novel it's from 1984 it's by milan kundera um and so it's famous um and weirdly enough today uh speaking of european texts philosophical texts that were translated and fictional the guy who did sophie's world you know what i'm talking about nope 
you know, like maybe Sophie's Choice, not Sophie's World. Sophie's oh. Choice. You know, Sophie's, Sophie's choice. World. No, it is. It's like the world of. It's like the actual title of the book is like. Hold on. Oh no! It's just Sophie's Choice. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is not this. It's not a thing, Joanne. It was. Hold on. Oh, Sophie's Choice. I could have sworn it was longer. Sophie's Choice. Nope. It's a good thing you didn't bet JP on that. Yeah, it's a good thing because I could have sworn this is exactly the sort of thing I would lose. I yep. Okay, but so Sophie's Choice. He also wrote a children's book that is just a series of illustrations and philosophical questions to think about, but like everyday questions like what does it mean to be a best friend? Can you have an animal who's a best friend? It's like a very very cute book, and I was oh. I was really taken with it. Although I read Sophie's Choice. When I was younger, and I didn't love that book. All, anyways, not none of that is here or there because I'm trying to talk about um, the unbearable lightness of being, but it's unbearable, so I'm not. Um, anyways, I don't really know whether I recommend the book or not. Um, it's kind of an exercise to get through, and it basically devalues everything in favor of feeling non of feeling free, right? And that's probably so. It's almost like like a hedonistic freedom. Yes. Um, but but almost worse than a hedonistic hedonism and that outlook says you know pleasure first right F- finds meaning in pleasure right and this just finds meaning in nothing and therefore you might as well just do whatever you want which is so a little it's, different so it's you know to to paraphrase sartre radical nihilism yes so here's sort of a, here's sort of an odd question uh given that you read this book once before and you know didn't like it that much and there are infinite books to read why did you choose to return to this now? What what drew you to it? You know, I really don't know. Um, the other book I'm reading right now is Starship Troopers. Um, wow! So that Why? gives you some idea of the divide. Uh, wow. But you're, but are you on sort of an old book trip right now? Um, like a like a classics of the canon. It's it it would seem that way, but no, I'm not. I'm on a my my reading habits lately have been quite odd and like pretty unlike me generally um i don't really know what's going on but i think i'm just like um well you're you're in a state of you're definitely in a state of transition in your life for sure and i like i don't uh, anyways what i'm really doing is returning massive amounts of books to the library that i am that i will soon not be employed at because i meant to read them and i didn't so that's a big part of what's happening okay just to be clear how long have you had these books checked out 66 days is the one that I checked in checked in today was sixty six okay. days. That's some of them are bad. from like last summer. That's bad. Because um. <laughs> those are books that are supposed to be in circulation for patrons to read. I know. Oh, so so this is just to be clear, if I remember correctly, your library um staff don't have late fees, right? So you can they don't have check. late fees, but they do have lost fees. Um, okay. So you can't literally just take a book forever. They will eventually charge you for it. They'll bill you, yeah. Yeah. And you either have to return it or pay the money. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you ever been billed for a book yet? Um, Presumably those books from last summer. Uh, some of them. The one that I really meant to get to and I didn't was Lee Rainey's book. What can you do? Um, well, I have good news for you, Joanna. What's There's that? a library in Sacramento. What? Really? Yep, it's true. You, and it's really exciting to be a library patron again and I don't have to give a I love being a librarian, and I love all the things about working here, but I'm really excited to just be a library patron again. It'll be really exciting. 
Yeah. Well, I'll be at a library patron who knows an unusual amount about the inner workings of the institution relative to the other library yeah, patrons. Yeah, but you know, I don't have to care. Um, you, you don't have to care, correct? One of the one of the although I do like working fast shifts, they're always a heap of fun. But um, you know, there's like you know, one thing you would do. Out yeah. Of, um, while you're looking for jobs, you could apply to be an on-call librarian. Because um, all they do is work desk shifts. It's the only thing they do. And I know we actually have a real shortage in the system. Oh. So yeah. it's just an idea. Because then, then what will happen is Central will be short a librarian and they'll just call. Like at Central, we have essentially like, I think we have like one on-call librarian and they're like unreliable. So just call you up and be like, hey, you want to work a desk at Central for five hours on Sunday? And you'll be like, okay. Yeah, cool. Get some pocket Sounds money. Good. Sounds good. Okay, yeah, sorry. I just what thought of that. to that, visit that's, me? Oh, so tell our podcast listeners since I can't actually see. So Wiggle is here. We're trying to gain Wiggle weight, and are we? So we're feeding him, and he's very happy. Why are we trying to gain Wiggle weight? Because he's too skinny. Oh. Yes. So how do you feel about leaving Wiggle behind? I'm gonna miss him, my baby boy. But you can't take him. I can't take him. No. No, I want it Wibble. I want it Wiggle to cohabitate with me, but you know, not my cat. Hey, Mister. Hey, you. Oh, gonna go down. He's gonna miss you too, big time. Gonna go down. He wanna stay up. What do you wanna do? No, he wants to stay up. Yeah, you can stay here if you want. It's fine with me. Yep. Cat. Cats are like they're almost like Schrodinger's box. They don't know what they want to do until you give up. Asking what they want to do, and then they want to do something. Can you feel him purr? He's such a cutie. For the record, everyone, it's really adorable how affectionate Joanna is to, to cats. Maybe. And small children. She, the, they're the only entities that she'll be open-hearted with. Mm-hmm. And possibly her boyfriends, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, reminder, edit out this long, silent cat cat period. No, no, no. no. Going. I know, I'm not going to rush you. I'm oh, done talking you... about the unbearable lightness of being. I'm holding okay. the unbearable lightness of being. Okay, so um, that was all our scheduled bits for this episode. As noted, next time we will be talking uh, from my apartment. Joanna will be sleeping on my couch, which is actually pretty comfortable. It is. Um, we will be watching Star Trek most days. Is there anything else you want to add about the move to Sacramento? Uh, I don't think so. I think we're good. All right, baby boy, time to go down. We're gonna be okay. All right. Aww. Yeah. Okay. Off we go. Well, we will catch you next month then. Bye. Bye. Bye.